Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got no choice. You just keep going. Um, you can't stop and say, excuse me, can we have another look at that one? So... I think the players, and that's that's part of the reason why when you walk away from a game like that, I've full confidence in where we're going. Our connection is really strong. Um, like I said, I don't want to be too buoyant about a loss, but geez, a, a fair bit of heart and togetherness about this group and in adversity as well, which is good. Gold Coast coach Stuart Jew after his team's brave loss to Melbourne on the Gold Coast at the weekend. Code Sports, Dan Churney. We always talk to Dan on a Monday and get his thoughts on the other games, of course, the ones not involving our two clubs. Dan, welcome to the show. Morning, Gus. Mate, um, what did you make of Gold Coast on the weekend? Good signs or have we been here before with the Suns? I think you could probably reasonably argue both of them. Uh, they were good signs, but we haven't been here before. You know, we've seen them have honourable losses. We've seen them make ground. We've seen them have put little runs together across several seasons, particularly in the first half of the year over the journey. Uh, you know, they. I think Melbourne are, if not premiership favourites, then certainly in the top, you know, three or four seeds. Uh, and they were very competitive, the Suns, and you know, might well have won that game. Obviously, very close. Um, had a chance late in the game with Darcy McPherson's level of scores. Were probably a bit unlucky with some contentious free kicks in the, in the dying stages. Um, but by the same token, they um, didn't they didn't win. And uh, therefore, it's uh, it's still back to the drawing board a bit for them, the three and five, and uh, under, the, under the pump still. Um, and uh, on the back of a year where they missed the finals again, they still haven't made it once. Stuart Jew is contracted until the end of next year, but he is, uh, you know, his job is... is still going to be under serious question if they can't make the finals this year. And, and at this stage, despite the progress, they probably don't look like it. Yeah, and a banana peel coming up for them this weekend. They fly to Perth, they play West Coast on Friday, so that's a long trip, six-day break, um, and they came off a pretty brutal game. So if they're if this is not a false dawn for Gold Coast, they, they fly in get the points against a very undermanned West Coast and then uh, and then get to regroup and, and, and push a little bit harder towards the top eight. Oh, yeah, I tend to agree. There's an absolute must-win game. Uh, I, I suppose the only side to have lost to the Eagles so far this year is the Giants, and that they were pretty undermanned. It was a tough fixture for them as well at the time, coming off a very hot game in round one. Uh, and very little went right for the Giants then, but you just got to be beating West Coast in their current state, um, both in terms of just how, how they are, I think, to start with. And then when you compounded by the... the um, Injury crisis, and you know you've written about it at length, and I'm sure you've discussed it at length, at length too. I'm sure you call us on the phones this morning, uh, having a chat to you about it yet again. But uh, it's it, yeah, you just got to be beating West Coast in the in the current state, is, is what I would say. What was your highlight of Round Eight, Daniel? Oh, I actually thought the Gold Coast Melbourne game was uh, was right up there. Um, a really compelling game of footy. Um, Actually, out with some mates, which is the part to be honest, it was on, and everyone was everyone dropped their, uh, you know, dropped what they were doing to, to watch the closing stages. It was a, it was a gripping finish. Um, 
you know, in what probably wasn't a classic round of footy, I thought that was uh, right up there. Uh, I thought the Port Adelaide Essendon game was quite intriguing. Um, the fact that the Bombers uh, the kick so accurately and, and hung in there and, and could well have won until the, the latter stages when Port managed to close it out. Collingwood Sydney was not a classic by any stretch, but uh, it, it had its moments. It swung either way, and uh, I thought uh, yeah, Brody Marchek kicking five and that, and that beauty right at the end. So look, yeah, it was not as I said a couple of times now, not far from a, a great round of footy, but uh, had its moments. I thought the Giants and the Bulldogs game on Saturday night was also not, not a bad one, and um, the Dogs managing to managing to uh, shut out the Giants uh, despite their impressing in the, in the closing stages too. Yeah, they're building a bit, the dogs. Um, we've been wondering when they're going to be going to be coming good again, and uh, it looks like they they might be about the place again. Sydney Collingwood was interesting, wasn't it? The way Sydney went after Nick Dacos at the start, and obviously the other talking point to come out of it is the booing of Lance Franklin. What did you take of? Um, I, I, th- I thought Collingwood outsmarted Sydney. Obviously, Sydney sent. Clark to Dacos and uh, tried to rough him up a bit and they, they tried to make Dacos um, let him know that he had to be accountable for his man a bit but they Dacos just went to another Sydney player at stoppages and uh, and Collingwood were able to free one up and Sydney didn't react quickly enough Yeah I think in the end the Swans did a pretty good job at stop, stopping Dacos I mean, his numbers were pretty down I don't think his influence was anywhere near what it, ten, it tended to have been so far this year, really so far in his still fledgling career. Um, and Ryan Clark has um, you know, developed a penchant for doing these jobs and, and doing them very well. He did it even on grand final day against Tom Stewart in the face of an absolute mauling from from the Cats. But I think in the end, did, did the Swans sort of win the battle but lose the war? The result would suggest they did. Uh, did they take their eyes off the ball? Maybe a touch. Did they focus too much energy, energy into Dacos? Uh, interesting that Craig McRae, the Collingwood coach post-match, noted that it all said that you know, the Pies are not surprised now when Nick Dacos gets a tag, gets attention, and they are thinking two steps ahead. And uh, they're, you know, they're trying to free, guy, free up other guys, whether it's someone like an Isaac Quainer or a John Noble or a Jack Crisp. Um, you know, the thing about Collingwood is that they have so many good players that uh, in the end they can beat you with weight of numbers, and, and, and that's what happened in the end. But by the same token, I think the Swans could well have won that game if not for just some woeful kicking in front of goal. But the set shots, I think it was too late for the afternoon. They missed some real sitters, uh, the likes of um, Peter Adams on quarter time. And Francis missed a couple that he really should have got. So they were right in that game. Um, but uh, the Pies in the end just, just found a way as they continue to find ways and different ways to win. I think there's been this narrative around Collingwood and all the the, uh, the overhauling jobs that they've done, and, and that has been a, a theme, but it's certainly not the only way they've been winning. Yeah, and great to see Brody Mychek get some scoreboard reward. I reckon there's not a more honest player in the AFL. I think he works really hard for everything that he's got. Hey, um, Brisbane, real deal now? Well, it's, look, I don't think beating Carlton um, proves that you're the real deal because I don't think Carlton are the real deal. I think oh, Carlton whack. Just, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to suggest otherwise on the basis of the first eight rounds of the season. I mean, they're they're, they're just a team at the moment, Carlton. They're they're, a, they're not a bad team. I mean, no one you know win games by a hundred points if you're if you're a poor side. Um, but I think they're a, they're a middle of the road side, probably a a I think you know I think they're eighth on the ladder, and I think that's about where they they sit. You know, that's about where they sit in the pecking order. Having said that, Brisbane were excellent. Um, you know, did what they had to do, and they've got. 
good players on every line. I thought the, the biggest winner on the night was, uh, was Jack Payne, who just um, beat Charlie Turner. And I think when you looked at the lines on paper, that was their biggest uh, concern. Um, their, uh, their lack of uh, key tools at the start of the year following the Marcus Adams issue probably wasn't the strongest of back lines to start with. Harris Andrews probably hadn't been the player that he had been three or four years ago. But uh, when Payne's playing that well, that, that just gives them a hell of a lot of confidence and, and belief that they'll be able to stand up um, when, the, the, um, when the whips are cracking towards the back end. But the thing about Brisbane is we've seen five years in a row now uh, from 2019 when they rose up from the bottom four the previous year to the top four, they can win home and away games, particularly the Gabba, but, but even away. The, the home and away games have, have not been their issue. They, they, they will win 14 to 17 games this year, I would think, and, and you know they'll qualify most likely for the top four at this point. But it's uh, it's what happens in September that really is where it'll be where the proof will come, and you know I've just got to start consistently beating or at least matching it with with Melbourne, Geelong, Collingwood. Uh, and the like, you know, the Bulldogs they were beaten by, and I think they're, they're a good side. You know, Port Adelaide touched them up at the start of the year. So, you know, Brisbane are a very good team, but it, really, there's only so much they can prove until um, until the finals. It's a good call. I reckon there's a little bit more to them now with Dunkley, that extra big-bodied mid going through the middle, and he was he was massive against the Blues. His ability to kind of cancel out Paddy Cripps left left Carlton rather disarmed. It felt like. Oh, yeah, Dunkley, look, he was close to best on ground, if not best. It probably was, actually, now that, now that I mentioned it. Uh, you know, he's having a really good year. He's everything you would have expected. Um, I mean, he's that big body. Uh, he's probably... There's been a knock on his, on his ball use a bit over the years, but I think that's probably... Um, he's, he's probably managed to, to work around that and, and, and be damaging. He's a bit of a death-by-a-thousand cuts sort of player, but, you know, he does clear up. He does free up. Um, Lockie Neal and McCluggage takes a bit of the the, the, the um, bruising away. I and mean, they sort of tried several guys in that big-bodied role over, over the years. I mean, they brought in Cam Ellis-Yolman for that purpose, and that didn't really didn't really work. Um, but Dunkley's obviously several classes above him as a player, and, and he's doing a really good job. You add that to Will Ashcroft, who's clearly a, a player on the rise and already a pretty good player. Um, and there's a few more strings to that bow, and they've got a few um, magnets they can they can move. We've seen Cam Rainer at either end of the ground. Uh, so they're um, yeah they're going pretty well and, and I think they'll be uh, they'll be able to contend. But uh, again, it's only so much you can do uh, until we get to September. Great call on Jackson Payne too, and and the way they're able to use Harris Andrews because of the way Payne plays, I think better suits Harris Andrews, doesn't it? Probably, it's almost like a better balance back there than it was when they had Marcus Adams playing strongly there. Mm, oh, for sure, no, no, and, and that's. It's a bit like, yeah, the, the, the Alex Rance um, example, or um, even you know Tom Stewart. Sort of, I think, I think there's been this tendency over the last uh, decade, twenty years, maybe even back to Matthew Scarlett, Dustin Fletcher, that you try to free up your best defender to intercept um, and, and get sort of that second, the second, the two and three key defenders to, to be the purely lockdown roles um, and get them get the most out of the players, um, you know, your, your guns. And, and in Brisbane's in case, it is Harris Andrews who is the gun a multiple uh, All-Australian and, and the leader of that club. So, um, you know, I think I think it's, it's uh, hopefully, if they can get him playing, playing consistently that well, then it'll make a big difference. The flip side is Carlton. Um, pressure coming for Michael Voss, do you think? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think he was already on, you know, particularly after that St Kilda game. Um, the, the, the big win over West Coast 
uh, you know, was, they did everything they could have, um, but there was always that caveat that you know, at the end of the day, it was just West Coast in their current state. Uh, and, um, you know, Carlton had to start matching it with, with the best sides. And uh, Brisbane are one of those sides, and the Blues, you know, were, were touched up, really. I mean, they weren't absolutely disgraced, but um, they were a fair way off the pace. Never really looked like winning it, certainly not in the second and third terms. You know, had a bit of a comeback in the, in the last quarter to, to add some respectability to the scoreboard. But, um, yeah, the pressure is definitely on Michael Voss. I think there is a widespread acceptance that they are not getting the most out of out of this list. Um, the injuries are no longer as, an ex- as much of an excuse. You know, they had most of their best team on the park the other night. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the draw of the next five to six weeks is, is challenging. So they, they are at a real crossroads, Carlton. If, if, um, if they're still fighting you know, on, on the edge of, of the eight, Come um, come post the buy, then suddenly Michael Voss, albeit with a year to run his contract, I, I think his his job again is, is under the pump because Carlton have shown that ruthlessness and that impatience, and it, it's compounding impatience because it's been so long since they've been successful, both even making the finals and then obviously winning the premiership most recently in 1995 for a very successful club historically. Yeah, one thing they do know uh, how to do is sack a coach, Carlton. They can certainly uh, they can certainly pull that off. Hey, the booing of Buddy. What do you make of it? Is this just fans booing a great player, as they sometimes do, or is there more to it than that? Look, I think broadly speaking, it is. I don't get why you boo just a great player just because they're a great player. Like I think yeah, I mean, I there aren't official rules of when when you do and don't boo, but I think, yeah, I suppose if you boo a player who's left your club or if you boo a player that's you know, left someone behind play or you, you boo someone for, I don't know, some other... Um, uh, unseemly incident, but Buddy Franklin's just a great player. Um, yeah, I saw some people saying, oh, it's because he's hasn't been punished enough for some of these high hits over the years and they've been protected species. I, th- I think that's that's a bit much. Um, oh, you know, like, is it, I, I don't think it's a massive issue, but um, I don't think it's does Collingwood fans or any fans who do it much of a service. I don't think it makes them look particularly clever or, um, yeah, I, I just think it is a bit not sad, but. Um, just a bit silly, really. You do have a great player in the twilight of his career. I mean, why are we booing him? You know, I don't think I don't think there's a racial element because, um, yeah, unlike say Adam Goods, who was very outspoken on racial issues, but he has not been that over the years. Um, so I don't think there's there's a racist element to it. But you know, even then, just be smarter if you're a Collingwood fan. You know, you'll, you sort of leave yourself open to to that because. At the end of the day, they are both Indigenous players and um, there are some parallels, albeit I don't think there's a, there's a racist element to it. I think it, it is just um, going of a great player, which, again, I don't get. I don't understand why people do it. You pay your money, you go to the footy, there's these incredible athletes out there and, uh, as you say, there will be players that rub you the wrong way. There'll be players that leave your football club. There'll be players who dong someone from your football club, and you will boo them uh, every time you see them. But Lance Franklin has uh, has brought a lot of joy to a lot of people, and and most of the players out there do. You know, every club has two or three players that are just incredible players to watch, really. And um, and he's certainly been one of them. It's it's one of the more fascinating. Um, I guess human elements to our game, and uh, and the problem is the more you talk about it, the less you stop it. I think, and uh, so we probably should just shut up about it and pretend it didn't happen. Perhaps I don't know, but uh, hey, um, where do you have Port Adelaide in your reckoning? Oh, look, you know, they're doing most things right. I mean, I don't just they was not their best effort, but you know they still managed to beat Essendon, who are, who are I think at least a, a middle of the road side at the moment. 
Um, oh, look, I probably have them just just that next rung below the the, the top four. I think um, I think Geelong, Collingwood, Melbourne, and Brisbane have sort of earned the right to be uh, treated as the sort of the top four seed, so to speak. And I think the the, like, the likeliest top four, but I would have Port Adelaide right at that next level, probably the fifth best side in it at the moment. Um, and if they can, you know, challenge, I think the fact that they were touched up by Collingwood. Um, means you lose a bit of faith in them all. They, they beat Brisbane pretty comprehensively in round one, but you know they're, they're doing it, everything they can. Um, you know they've beaten some of the some of that sort of five to eight um, bracket teams like some Silver and the Western Bulldogs again in Essendon. So now that they're going well, you know they've got a, I think the players they've brought in have done a really nice job. Juan Francis is doing on nicely. Not, you know, he's not doing it every single week that consistently, but you know you don't expect that from a second year player. Junior Rioli, um, albeit he's probably heading, heading for a bit of a spell after the Jordan Ridley hit. Um, is um, you know he, he's playing some good footy and you know I think they've probably evolved. I think for a while I was worried about how how reliant they were on Travis Boak and, and Robbie Gray before he retired. But you know that next generation of Connor Rosie and Zach Butters, um, you know they're, they're they're leading the way now and uh, you know they're, they're a good side. Butters in particular, when the game gets big, he tends to play big, doesn't he? He's a he's a really really good young player. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean you know, you forget him. Yeah, he's just a really good player. Um, but I mean, you're right, he's still young enough. It's only in his fifth year, so you know they're, they're going to have these guys for the best part of the next decade, um, leading the way. And that, that they are clearly the future of the club. You know, with, along with the likes of, of Todd Marshall as well down the other end. Um, the backline's still uh, you know, a little bit shaky. I still have a few doubts about that. But um, oh yeah, no, he's just he's a nice player. And you're right when the lips are cracking, he's just a good ball user. But, um, He's, he's dangerous and, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to cut up a lot of sides along the journey, you think. Daniel, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show this morning and uh, uh, wish you all the best with your uh, endeavours over the coming week. No worries, Duffy, too. Daniel Cherney from Code Sports, of course. Uh, what do you think on Daniel's take of footy over the weekend in the AFL? The temperate bedshed text line is the place to have your say. 0487. 736 736. Uh, we've got one from Dirk coming in saying he agrees with Daniel. The Suns and Melbourne was a great game. Well played, the Suns. We'll take a break and be back with more of the show after the break.